it would be a really grand thing if people of faith stopped asking, I wonder when we can get back to church, which to me seems like um, wanting to clamor back to Egypt, wanting to clamor back to structure. What if God doesn't want us to go back to the way that we were before? What if we're meant to be going someplace else, someplace new, someplace different? What if we're supposed to become a hybrid of something we haven't even imagined yet? What might become of us because of this? This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Betwixt Podcast. I'm Deb Gregory, recording this episode from my closet in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of you have commented, oh, so this is what you've been talking about all this time, isn't it? Yes. This global pandemic with all of its disorientation and new realities, it's a profound moment of social liminality that's impacting communities all around the world. And I'm guessing it's had some profound impact on your own life as well. So today, we're going to talk about this with someone who I think can serve as a liminal guide, offering us some perspective, hope, and even offering some insight into how we can passage through this time to become the people who are needed for whatever lies ahead, a people activated in the way of peace and shalom. My guest is Timothy Carson. He's the curator of the Liminality Project. Hi, Deb. Hi. Well, this is great. I'm so glad that- Tim stumbled on the concept of liminality through a footnote while working on his doctorate dissertation. And as it happens, it changed his life. After retiring from full-time pastoral ministry, Tim began to wear two different hats that involve liminality. So while wearing his academic hat, Tim teaches, he writes about liminality, and he curates the Liminality Project website. Tim is the author of Liminal Reality and Transformational Power, and he's the editor of Neither Here Nor There. It's an anthology on the many voices of liminality. And he's currently working on a new collaborative book about practical theology and the development of a biblical hermeneutic of liminality. Tim also wears a field guide hat. He helps others transition through life's passages, and he especially works with individuals who have experienced past trauma through emotional freedom techniques. I'm hoping that you can help us listeners be a little bit better equipped for not only walking through times of liminality, but also companioning others through that as well. Let's provide a definition. How do you describe liminality? What, what is liminality? The word liminal is based on the Latin word limens, which means threshold. And so liminality is the state of being one enters after you have crossed a dramatic threshold. It can be many different kinds of thresholds. But when you do, you, have, you leave the kind of structure of your life that was your ordinary, your typical, the, the provided life, the assumed life that you had, and you cross a threshold out of that into this undefined, ambiguous, 
cloudy, murky state of being in which the old coordinates are absent. And you feel this pull, and it's not a linear pull, it is a, a kind of a constant zigzagging through this liminal fog and haze as you're trying to reconstruct a new life, which would be your the post-liminal life towards which you're heading. But when you're in the liminal space, it's, it's altogether uncertain where you're going to be going, which is a part of the terror of being in the liminal space, the free fall of the liminal space that takes your breath away. It's also part of the exhilaration as one has cast off from shores that maybe you needed to be leaving, but you just hadn't found a way to do it yet. And so finally, you're, um, you feel like you have escaped the land of structure you came from or left it behind. Uh, and even though you don't know what the new is going to represent, there is a kind of hopefulness there. And you start to smell that hopefulness. You start to, you start to feel it and you start to follow it. Liminality, of course, is not just always born in crisis. It's, it's also prescribed in things like rites of passage. Rites of passage. In which, you know, either cyclical or, or designed or generational rites occur in which uh, a person or a tribe or a group is transitioned from one place to another. So they, the most common one might be a coming of age rite which is typical for an adolescent to move into adulthood. And so we have a series of rituals to which they must pass and mentors. And the whole idea is that they will pass through a time in which they find their own sense of self. And by the time they emerge on the other side of it, they have become an adult or have entered into an adult status within the tribe. So that's a typical pre-designed rites of passage designed to help people move from one place to another. But there are those that are not developmental. There are those that are born of crisis, Hmm. like the state in which we are in right now, that came as a result of a pandemic. So that's an example of the many types of liminality. And sometimes you don't even know that you're about to enter that liminal space. Hmm. It could be the whispers that are prompting you to move toward a threshold and it it may work on you for the longest time and it may come in the form of signs that you read along the way uh, or dreams that come and speak to you about passages that you must make and so those kind of passages the kind of gnawing desire that you experience to move someplace also are at work Or it can be the tornado comes through your town and it blows it away. And suddenly a whole community is now in a liminal state born of disaster. Hmm. And the structure that was lost was not only physical structure, though it was, but it was safety. It was a way of life. It was the way things operate. And suddenly people are in between, betwixt and between. And, good promo uh, for the podcast. Good. That is just such a good word, betwixt. And when you're in that space, you are experiencing loss and at the same time hope. And that's where things get born. 
somewhere between loss and hope. Yeah, I love that kind of framing that you're somewhere between loss and hope. And you've really done a good job of describing the different kinds of ways people feel liminal space. And my sense is that people feel it long before they recognize what it is. But it really is experienced so differently. Like people can walk through the same liminal experience, like a disaster or something that happens within the community, but it isn't the same experience that each person has, right? Can you talk more about the different ways that people experience liminality? Yeah. Um, For instance, though an event takes place on the outside, like the tornado coming to town, no two people are exactly the same on the inside. They're at a different developmental place in life. They, one person is uh, more mature than the other. One person has experienced earlier traumas and the other person has not. One person is a fairly resilient person. The other person is more fragile. These are just examples. And so liminality is actually something that's experienced on the inside of us. That's the place where the liminality is known. So the outside of experience provides the theater, the stage upon which the drama is acted out and all of the characters, that would be us, are moving on this stage, but all playing different parts at different places. Uh, some are terrified, some are thrilled. So, so no one person is passing through the experience in the same kind of way. And so you, you can't make assumptions about what that is going to be for a person. That's right. I love hearing the way people describe it. I've heard things like it's a desert or a wilderness for some people. Other people feel like it's uh, the dark wood. I think that's, is that from? Dante. From Dante, yeah. Yeah, Dante's dark wood, right? Uh-huh. And wilderness is a perfect way to describe it. And, of course, we have endless biblical allusions to liminal spaces and liminal passages, one after the other. I think you can make the case that the liminal dimension of the scripture is what propels the narratives of the scriptures, because Mm -hmm. I think those are the very same things that propel life. And we know that intuitively. If we've lived more than a few years, we know this intuitively. That's how life unfolds. And then when you read scripture, which is the larger life speaking to our personal lives, then you just find that pattern replicated time and again on a kind of large meta level or a very, very small micro level. So this awareness, has this kind of led you into what you've called the hermeneutic of liminality? Yes. What does that mean? Well, first talk about what, what is, is hermeneutic? hermeneutic. So hermeneutic is, is inter- interpretation. So we all have hermeneutical or interpretive skills by which we understand life, text, processes, and we have hermeneutics or interpretations by which we delve into scripture. And um, liminality and rites of passage and all of that, though we're not claiming that it provides some kind of theory of everything, it provides another toolkit by which we can make sense 
of powerful texts. Once you start to notice the deep liminal patterns in scripture, you can apply this palette of tools to elucidate the meaning of the text, and it becomes quite exciting. So, for instance, as you examine things like position of the characters within the text, and you start to notice the patterns of transformation in the text and symbols that are employed in the text, those all come together to create this kind of whole. So the most straightforward, simple model that we have in scripture that has to do with liminality on a meta level would be exile. It's the large band that holds together the prophetic tradition and the understanding of Israel and Israel moving from the land and and going into exile and returning to the land and rebuilding. And so that whole model of exile would in liminality would be understand in the same ways that we understand the pre-exilic literature and the exilic literature and the post-exilic literature. There's a huge passage in the ways that uh, Israel was cast into exile, lived through exile, and, and returned from exile. And liminality is a way that you can interpret the meaning of that whole pattern. And that kind of thing is found throughout Scripture. You can, you can interpret Noah and his ark. You can interpret Jesus in the wilderness. You can interpret the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, spending time wandering in the wilderness and going to the promised land. All of those contain that, those dimensions of liminality that speak very powerfully. So the liminal space is kind of that, we talked about the the doorway, right, between Mm -hmm. one place and another. What happens in liminal space? What happens in exile? So take um, Jesus' wilderness 40 days, for example. Jesus is cast by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he is tested. There he differentiates between what is real and what is not real. There he casts himself on the ones who will really support him, the angels that minister to him. And it is only by going and passing through this cauldron of refining, the refiner's fire, another good metaphor for the liminal space, the refiner's fire, that one finds, in Jesus' case, and really anyone who passes through wilderness, calls, find your true calling, your true nature your destiny, what is true and what is not true, what's worth living for, what's not worth living for, the things that have to be cast off and let go, the things that must be embraced, so that you leave the wilderness space with a new sense of vocation. And of course, that's when Jesus enters his vocation, his public ministry at that time. So it's a a time of... uh, definition and redefining identity, coming to terms with what is illusion and what is truth. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've been thinking about exile and the exodus a lot lately, and maybe even more so since we've been in this kind of pandemic state. And as I listen to people, I've become aware of an assumption I've had and I hear other people have about exile. 
And it usually comes down to this idea of it's a place of banishment. It's a place of God forsakenness. It's a place of punishment. And as I've kind of thought of exile through the lens of liminality, I've looked again at scripture and I've noticed, okay, God has never left the people. <laughs> I don't know where I've got the sense that God, the presence of God has completely departed from the people. In fact, you know, the Exodus story, he's with them in the pillar of cloud and, and of fire. And it's in this way they come to know him as father. And throughout the exile period, God even says, you know, you, you can't worship me in that communal space in a certain location anymore, but I'm still with you, but in a different way. And I think of that, especially now in this time of pandemic, and what an important message that is. And so I guess I've kind of started to think of exile more in terms of a place of our becoming, especially the place where we are becoming the people needed for whatever season is ahead so that we can be a people who can flourish there. Absolutely. The potter is reshaping the clay, the vessel. And so um, exile is the, the place in which um, we are remade. God is very present. In fact, all of those stories, God's everywhere in the story, whether it's providing manna or law or heading them towards land, all of that is there. And yet, the times in which Israel is most tempted takes place in the middle of wilderness. The temptation to go back, the temptation to worship a false god like a golden calf, the temptation to blame the messenger, Moses. Um, all of the worst is woven in, but they are refined by that on the way to, to the promised land. And I think it's, you, you mentioned something really important. They're not living in the era of temple, which is structure from which we've come, institutional, foundational, in one place, dependable, recurring. No, they're living in the time of tabernacle. They drag their temple with them. They're portable now. And so they redefine who they are and what they can become as they're heading someplace. And I think about the pandemic. Um, I have a plague group, cheery, yes, a plague literature group. And we just uh, finished reading uh, Albert Camus' The Plague. Often, Camus refers to the closed city of the plague in which his, this drama takes place as a people in exile. And he talks about exile in terms of exile not only from everything that is outside of the city, but being exiled even in their own homes. But for Camus, he doesn't see anything too redemptive about that. But for people of faith, though we're not cavalier about the nature of suffering and how people are hurting and, and the power of death in, in a pandemic, there is a redefining that is going on. If one has eyes to see, and it is a colossal mistake, I think, in this social liminality of this pandemic to say things like, when we get back to the way it was before, we don't want to go back to the way that things were before. We want to pass through the wilderness and go to a promised land. We want to move towards a new reality and take the insights and the ways we've been reshaped in, into building a new reality. 
a new world, a new heaven and a new earth. It's transformational. The model is dynamic. It's, it's forward-looking. But the potential for us to reassess ourselves, to free our compulsive lives full of shallow busyness, determined by rushing after the life of commerce as our highest, noblest goal, and make your list. There's something to be learned here. If anything, socially isolating in our own homes should drive us to a new sense of what it means to stand in a solitary way before God, before the holy. It should not unaffect us. It, this should change us if we let it. If it's just an enemy to get over, now we're going to vanquish the foe and get back to where we were before. That's not a dynamic model. That's a kind of repair model. And by the way, that's a distinctive difference in therapy too. Therapies built on liminality don't have any understanding of the kind of repair model. We're just going to find the way that things are broken, and then we're going to stitch them up so that we can have good enough functioning again. The therapies built on liminality are all process-oriented and looking to the future and transformation. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've been kind of watching for in, in my own heart as I'm walking through this pandemic is recognizing that liminality has some dangers to it, especially if we refuse to let go of the things that need to be let go of in order for us to move into that promised <laughs> space before us. It does require any number of things. What do you think that it requires? What's the danger if we don't walk through liminality well? I think it can be dangerous. I think it can be dangerous in if we're not able or equipped to let go of what needs to be released, then people are constantly grasping to have that. And then, then all they experience is loss and disempowerment. Everything's been taken from me. I don't have what I used to have. And then they feel empty because they don't have anything to take its place. So that is a really good way to describe what unmediated liminality is like. If you don't have mentors, you don't have liminal guides. Mm -hmm. You're awash in this new wilderness and with no one to help escort you through. And if you don't have the tools to move through those spaces yourself and if no one's mentoring you, it can be very dangerous. And people feel like they're unanchored and sometimes unhinged and they become desperate. They feel desperate. I think probably the, the single most important factor is to have a community of connection, even if it's a virtual one at this point. I think it's really helpful to have some liminal guides out there to whom people can turn and discover that, one, this is not new, two, this happens all the time, and there's something to be experienced here. There's something to be learned here. To have powerful liminal guides I think makes all the difference. I was thinking this morning of the episode in the wilderness where Moses, the liminal guide for the people of Israel, he goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And meanwhile, 
the people are left without their guide. And what happens is they they return back to the securities of their old way. This is the golden calf episode where they build from the things that they brought with them something that is an alternative to what Moses is trying to open them up to, the beauty and the glory of God and becoming the people of God. And, and so they use the old tools and God doesn't destroy them, but he does purify them in a really strange ritual activity that they go through. <laughs> always rituals. Um, but this is part always of the rituals. process. Yes, always rituals. <laughs> and if you think about it, that moment um, in which it's discovered that they have been worshiping a false god, the golden calf, is a, like a second death for them. This is the time in which they have attached to and invested in the wrong thing again. And so there's this chastening or this purification that takes place so that they might move another step forward. And in the story, of course, if you want to take the story metaphorically, which you certainly can, even if you wanted to take the story as a description of what happens in the psyche, every time that we attach to a false object and raise it to the level of the ultimate, which is a form of idolatry in ourselves, there's a kind of tear in the soul. Hmm. Because we're attaching to something that can't sustain us. It's something false. It's something unreal. And yet we're putting all our hope in it. And there's a kind of death that takes place when we do that. And there's a kind of shattering of that that needs to take place so that we can reattach to things that are true and trustworthy and reliable. And so that is kind of a metaphor for the state of the soul when we attach it incorrectly. You know, if you're a follower of Winnicott, you know, in object relations, you'll be thinking about our attachments. And that would be part of the danger of wilderness and liminal space. What happens to our attachments? If we've lost anchors and structure, there's the possibility that in liminal space, we attack incorrectly to the many false gods that we would worship. You're attaching to illusions that will always pass away. I think addictions fall into this category. We're falsely attaching to something that we think can lead us somewhere or gratify us or fulfill us, but they never can. And so we continue to attach and reattach and become disillusioned. So part of that is exactly what happens in the wilderness also, which is this disillusioning that takes place. The spirit trying to break through the world of illusion versus the world of the real. Jesus faced that also in the temptations. You know, what's real and what's not? Do I test God by jumping off the parapet of the temple? Do I seize all the kingdoms of the world just as long as I compromise myself? Do I turn stones into bread when I know that that's not going to fill the inner hunger that I have? That can only be met with God. All of these things are clarified in the wilderness. Hmm. I think to your point about where is the gift of liminality, I think that gets close to it. What is the gift of what we may become because of the liminal time and space, whether it's a pandemic, who knows what that is, but we look for the ways we might be transformed because of it.
I think I saw on your blog, The Liminality Project, Jay McDaniel wrote a really interesting article, and he says, liminal moments are the building blocks of reality. (laughs) And I really love that because, you know, I think that goes along with what you're saying about how in those liminal times, we do lose our illusions, hopefully, and we come to terms with what is real. And maybe another danger, I think, of liminality is if we refuse to accept the place where we are, we won't be able to passage well into the new place. Right. You, you, could, you could put unresolved grief into that category. Mm. You have a terrible loss. You never resolve that loss. You carry around this liminal space in you like a stone. And then the next time comes where you have another loss and this is multiplied and you carry that until the next one. It's not a transforming thing. It's a kind of cumulative burden that takes place. And so that's the the kind of peril that might take place because of that. Yeah. Okay, friends, let's take a quick break so I can introduce you to one of my partners in the Missio Alliance Podcast Collective. This is Steve Cuss, and I host the Managing Leadership Anxiety Podcast right here on the Missio Alliance channel. Every faith leader I know carries a lot of pressure and chronic anxiety, and I think we're finding it harder and harder to experience deep, soul-renewing rest nowadays. The focus of my work is to help you notice, name, and move through sources of anxiety that are common to all faith leaders. I'm a pastor who used to be a trauma chaplain, and I was trained in family systems theory, so my show focuses not only on your anxiety, but also how anxiety operates in a group or a system. On most episodes, I feature a guest and we chat about their vocation and their leadership pressures they face. Previous guests include Brenda Salter-McNeil, Max Licato, Makoto Fujimura, Nancy Ortberg, Kay Warren, Chuck DeGroat. Once in a while, I'll use an episode to share from the Family Systems Theory Toolbox to help you manage the pressures you face. The podcast is simply designed to equip you to name and notice triggers and pressures in you and in those you lead. You can find episodes right on the Missio Alliance website or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, if you take liminality, as we talk about moving from structure to anti-structure to restructure, and then again, and then again, and then again, you get a sense of this, the history of the world is a series of liminal moments. And those billions of liminal moments moving is what actually propels the creation forward. And if you kind of just pull back, especially from the Old Testament, that repeat of the creation story keeps happening again and again and again. That story of life emerging and triumphing again and again, new creation. And to the Christian scriptures of crucifixion and resurrection again and again and again death and rebirth death and rebirth death and rebirth that's a pattern that continues as well you know it's it's not only jesus that experiences that but all souls and those who live in that story and that reality that's continually taking place it's it is the metaphor that drives the understanding of baptism that we participate in the death and the dying of the self so that we might be reborn 
uh, to be one with Christ. It's that same pattern. In fact, when you talk about Christology and the understanding of Christ and world, you find things like, well, not only John's hymn to the Logos in the first chapter that talks about the descending Christ that comes into the world, that the world might be loved and redeemed by that. You find the Christ hymn in, in Philippians that talks about the one who did not seize equality with God, but descended, took on the form of a servant, and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so there's this great you arc that takes place all the time as one leaves structure, moves into limit, the liminal reality of Jesus with the world, the world's transformed. It's an internal pattern. It's pretty great. One thing that we haven't talked about is position and you know, even the, the way that Christ himself changed position. That's a real key factor of liminality as well. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that and maybe even bring it into what we are experiencing and what the hope of an equanimity that kind of happens in liminality. Even in this time of pandemic, what can we hope for or look for? Well, imagine in the stories of the incarnation, the places to which God comes in the world. Where is God revealed? Well, almost always in the margins. God comes into the margins of the world, the edges of the world, to redeem the whole world. And so in the story of Jesus' incarnation and birth, we hear that out in the middle of the sticks, Jesus is born of a young woman who is a peasant living at the edge of the world. He is born into a world of nobodies. And by being born in that location, in that particular place that is alongside and beyond the structure of the powers of the world, it is only by that happening that the world itself is redeemed. Correspondingly, today, when we talk about what are the ways that new truth or new wisdom or transformation might emerge in a pandemic, we have to ask ourselves parallel questions, I think. How is it that God is manifested in the margins of our experience? And there couldn't be a more marginal one than we're having right now. How might God be more dramatically revealed because this is the way it is than if we were just living our ordinary lives, skipping along without a, a thought in our minds? So this presents that remarkable opportunity for the God who always seems to show up in the margins to do it again. And so through the eyes of faith, we look for the way that God is growing up in the cracks and crevices. It would be a really grand thing if people of faith stopped asking, I wonder when we can get back to church, which to me seems like um, wanting to clamor back to Egypt, wanting to clamor back to structure. What if God doesn't want us to go back to the way that we were before? What if we're meant to be going someplace else, someplace new, someplace different? What if we're supposed to become a hybrid of something we haven't even imagined yet? What might become of us because of this? Instead of figuring out when we can have another board meeting and boring committee meeting at church. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now we can do it in our sweats or without pants if we want to on Zoom. If you want to, it's a okay. <laughs> that's great. And that's the the beauty of, I guess some people call it the bright and liveliness that can happen in liminality. And it's the space where true creativity, that's where life is born, right? In these kind of right. liminal spaces, in the womb. What is this the womb of for us? Right. And what will all of our great artists and poets and wordsmiths and builders of community, what shall they birth in this womb? How will we be different because of it? I love it. Okay, so now the last thing I want to ask, it kind of comes back to what you've talked about before, which is the need for liminal guides So we've talked a little bit about why we need it. We need people to kind of walk with us through this so that it becomes a place where we become what we need to be for our flourishing. But how do we walk with others? How do we become liminal guides? Who are they and what should we be doing? The liminal guide is the one who has already been initiated. The liminal guide has already passed through his or her wilderness and knows what it's like. The liminal guide has already traversed the great sea of unknowing and come out the other side somehow so that when others are passing through that same parallel kind of experience, they know that the liminal guide is the one to whom they can turn. And Sometimes we choose our liminal guides. Sometimes they appear when we need them. If you're in a community, perhaps they're built in as a part of your church's organizational life. You have pastors or you have elders. Or if you're looking for secular counterparts, that might be a, be a therapist is your liminal guide who's passed through those waters. If, if you um, have a spiritual director that you've chosen, you will choose a spiritual director who has already plunged into the ministry of God and be able to walk along someone as a companion as they are putting their little toe into the mystery. And I think that that is the powerful role of liminal guides is to walk alongside and to be that reflection partner, to have known the terrain. Often on the great explorations out in the western part of the United States, there were guides that accompanied people exploring those places that had been there many times before. And you wouldn't dare to go to the wildness of those spaces without someone who had walked in those same ways and been able to point you in certain directions. And I think it's the same is true in the life of the spirit. I think we know that person when we meet them. I think we have a sense of that, not only because they have a certain credential, but because uh, we think this is one who's traveled that way. And so I feel safe trusting this person and traveling that way with them. I think of in the Bible, again, the story of Moses, how he had to go through the wilderness his 40 years previously. And this struck me recently, just a simple story that I've never really thought of before because I hadn't looked at it through the lens of liminality, but just a story where Moses puts his hand in his cloak 
and then he pulls it out and it's leprous. And then he puts it back in again and he pulls it out and it's renewed. And how important that was for him to be able to go back and lead his people through the wilderness because he knows the hope of what renewal will look like. Yeah, of true restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if you have a sense of that, you know how close one might be to achieving it. Or am I on the right path? Am I headed the right direction? Well, from my experience, it looks like you are. When I walked this way, this is what it was like for me. These are the challenges I faced. These are the tribulations I experienced. And these are the consolations I experienced along the way too. Maybe this is true for you. I mean, all of those are the kind of things that a liminal guide can offer. One question that a friend asked, and I'll th- throw it to you. You you mentioned earlier about the the prophetic tradition at the time of the prophets in the midst of exile. But what about those moments where you have a dream or or visions or some kind of sense that feels kind of otherworldly or like as a speaking from God? Are those liminal moments and what do we do with them? My answer is absolutely yes. I would frame that kind of like this. Most of our cognitive life, most of our intellectual cognitive frontal cerebral cortex life is the land of structure. That's the kind of ordinary life that we perceive with our senses and we understand it from our past experience. And when we have dreams and visions, we are plunging into the liminal non-structure of life in a deeper way. So mystical revelations, uh, deep unitary prayer, dreams that lead us to the deepest aspects of ourselves and beyond those, that deep well. I think that's all liminal space and our normal conscious awareness doesn't always have access to that. But when we go to those places, new things, new truth, new wisdom is revealed And that is the transformative thing. So, for instance, if we're taking our dreams seriously and we we enter into the mystery of the dreams and we allow them to teach us and speak to us, we should become transformed by them on the other side into a new level of consciousness or awareness or even will to become something different all as the result of that. So I think that is liminal subconscious space. And I think we're called to that depth. I think deep calls to deep. We're called to that kind of depth in our spiritual lives. And I don't think it's accidental, and I think it's critical to the life of the Spirit. So these moments are transformative in that they can open up for us moments of new revelation. Yes, and can unite us with the deepest aspects of ourselves from which we have been estranged or separated or that need to be revealed to us so that we can become our the best version of ourselves, the, our real self, not a false self, but a real self. 
So what would you have for us as we um, walk through this liminality of pandemic and begin to open our eyes to what might be ahead? What is your call or your encouragement to us as a liminal guide? Yeah, I think the first most helpful thing we can do is to let people know this is a liminal time. And when they say liminal, just describe it. This is an in-between time. And when people and societies go through these times, this is what happens. It's confusing. You feel anxious. You don't know what's going to come next. You feel unanchored. All those things are so normal. I think that's the first thing. Oftentimes, when you simply describe the fact that we're in a liminal period, people are relieved to know that they're not going crazy, that this is what it is. And this is what people go through and have for millennia. You know, this is it. The second thing would be, I think, language about hope. After you look at the reality of your life and embrace it, you're not denying it, you're not running from it, you're not ignoring it. After looking at the reality of your life, we are a people who need to look forward in hopefulness and believe that this time shall be ordained for good somehow, that there will be, there will be ways in which we're going to be transformed that we could not have imagined before. It's the old thing of, you know, I never would have asked for this time of suffering for myself or anyone else. But since it is here, God can bring something of it. And God in that process way of thinking we talked about, God's already here. It's not God's not someplace else. God is integral to the universe and me and our experience. God is already creating something right now. It's not will be, is right now. And so there is that, that aspect of faith. God is right in the middle of the mess and creating something. And that's full of hope. You know, the question for people of faith is, do we have the patience and do we have the will to watch for the new future God has created? And will we be there to respond to it? Will we be able to step into the breach? Maybe something new is going to be required of us. Maybe it's our time. Maybe this is our time to step forward. And gee, I I don't want to snooze through this. I want to leave you today with this beautiful blessing found in John O'Donohue's To Bless the Space Between Us. And this blessing is entitled For the Interim Time. When near the end of day, life has drained of light, and it is too soon for the mind of night to have darkened things. No place looks like itself. Loss of outline makes everything look strangely in between, unsure of what it has been and what it might become. In this wane light, even trees seem groundless. In a little while, it will be night, but nothing here seems to believe the relief of dark. You are in this time of the interim, where everything seems withheld. The path you took to get here has washed out. The way forward is still concealed from you. The old is not old enough to have died away. The new is still too young to be born. You cannot lay claim to anything in this place of dusk 
Your eyes are blurred, and there is no mirror. Everyone else has lost sight of your heart, and you can see nowhere to put your trust. You know you have to make your own way through. As far as you can, hold your confidence. Do not allow your confusion to squander this call, which is loosening your roots in false ground, that you might come free, free from all that you have outgrown. What is being transfigured here is your mind, and it's difficult and slow to become new. The more faithfully you can endure here, the more refined your heart will become for your arrival in the new dawn. Amen. for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com or you can visit my partners at missyoualliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Special thanks to my friends Rivoli for sharing the music that you hear now. You can check them out at ryvoli.com or Facebook slash Rivoli. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time.